previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. And you very quickly notice that there are twisting branches of black glittering rock spouting off the organ pipes and weaving around the window. I then go and I root around in my bag. I pull out my bottle of ink. I take that and I throw it as far away from myself as I can. And then I pull out my journal that I keep and I take it and I throw it as far away from myself as I can. Just everything. I cannot be party to, to any of this madness that is going on here. There's something wrong here. There's something very, very wrong here. And I think that it's in your best interest to go because nothing good is coming this way. Donald, what did you learn? You've seen something. You know something now that you didn't know when you left us. This man needs to be taken care of. That's what I learned. That's what I'm going to do. And you're sure that you're the person that should do that? I don't think there's anybody else. This will not be the first cursed organ that I have seen today, which tells you something about what is happening, so... Don't touch it, Monty. I don't think that'll be helpful at this point. And Francis, you're the first to notice that there's a translucent, colorful glass arm that starts to reach its way toward Donald. Paris, 1894. Frances Anderson was still only a student of art, but she had a flair for faces. Not just capturing likenesses, although she was quite good at that, but a talent for reflecting back character. Frances had learned that paying customers much preferred portraits that captured who they wanted to be, rather than who they actually were. No one wanted their perpetual sneer immortalized on canvas after all, no matter how accurate the depicted expression was. If you could earn the right reputation for skill, tact, and just the right amount of panache, artists could earn a living that allowed them to take on whatever other projects they might choose. For Frances, a steady flow of commissions was vital if she was going to be able to stay in Paris, doing what she loved, rather than being shipped ignominiously back home. She took them seriously and worked hard to make sure they met her standards and pleased the recipient. Frances prided herself on being devastatingly competent at whatever she turned her mind to do, and portraits, faces, were what she was best at. Her most recent commission had been for Monsieur Fournier, a Parisian bureaucrat who wanted a portrait of his wife. Madame Fournier was in her 40s, with a face that was more symmetrical than interesting, and an arrogant arch to her brow that boded ill for any servants that dared to displease her. It wasn't the sort of commission an artist longed for, but an art student would count her lucky stars and produce a piece that would recommend her work to the Fournier's friends and colleagues. She worked hard, minded her manners and her tongue during the sittings, and produced a piece that flattered Madame Fournier more than she probably deserved. This morning, she was due to deliver the finished product. Frances rose early and climbed the stairs to her private studio. It was a stroke of luck that one corner of Aunt Helen's attic had just the right amount of privacy and natural light for a painter. Certainly the old house hadn't been built with Frances in mind. If it had been, there would have been at least one less flight of stairs to reach the studio, that was certain. Luckily, the stairs helped keep the space undisturbed so that Frances could paint and make a mess without interference. Of course, that meant she had to pack the painting into a crate and make it all the way down those steps to deliver it to the Fourniers. 
but that was a small price to pay. Frances bumped her elbow on the way up to the final narrow flight of stairs and was rubbing it absentmindedly, cursing her clumsiness, so she didn't notice it right away. She should have seen it at once. It wasn't... it, it didn't make sense. She stood staring at the portrait blankly for long moments, trying to understand. Madame Fournier was wearing a mask. Madame Fournier hadn't been wearing a mask when Frances signed her name on the portrait yesterday afternoon. Madame Fournier hadn't been wearing a mask yesterday because Frances hadn't painted a damned mask. Her breath caught in the back of her throat, so violently that she doubled over coughing, clutching her own chest as she fought off a growing panic. Straightening with a careful, deep breath, Frances scanned the portrait desperately, searching for signs of something that might explain. The hand that rested lightly on the settee, the one that gave her so much trouble to get just right, looked exactly the same as she had painted it last week. Madame Fournier's dress, the marble mantelpiece behind her that had bored Frances so much to recreate, all was correct. All was exactly as she had painstakingly created it, except for the mask. Aesthetically, it didn't even match the rest of the piece, a small part of her mind frantically pointed out. There was something off about it, something not right. She couldn't look away. How in hell had it appeared? None of the servants could have done it, and Aunt Helen's hand had a tremor. Frances knew it did, no matter how much her aunt tried to hide it. She couldn't have painted the mask. Could her friends have somehow done it as a joke? As soon as her mind suggested it, Frances dismissed it. Monty and Donald just didn't have the knack with oils that Frances did. And no one could have made it into her home at all, much less into her studio, without raising half the house. Could... could she have done it? Could she have painted it last night somehow and forgotten? She'd never sleepwalked before, as far as she knew, but sleep painting? And painting so perfectly? Was it a trance? Was it hypnotism? Was she going mad? None of it made any sense, she told herself, her mind racing with terrible visions of losing her sanity, being taken away and locked away and losing all sense of herself, of wasting away in a locked room with no light. But if she hadn't painted the mask herself, who or what could have? Some terrible force? A lifetime of reading gothic novels, of delighting in stories of ghosts and supernatural forces and monstrous men made it all too easy to imagine horrors. No, not now. Right now she had to fix the painting. She had to repaint Madame Fournier's face and she had to somehow invent a story that bought her time and preserved her reputation. And she had to start now. And she couldn't tell anyone. That much seemed obvious. No one needed to know about the mask or what truly caused the delay and no one no one needed to know that her own grip on reality and her own mind might be slipping. She was Frances Anderson, and Frances Anderson was devastatingly competent when she wanted to be. generally as part of this we want to have you know character backgrounds and concepts come out in in gameplay and in, in some of the, the short stories at the beginning of the episodes but I am curious were there any particular inspirations for your characters as you were thinking about coming up with them 
themes or or characters or anything that where did where did the ideas for Francis and Donald and Monty come from? Mr. Spock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see it. I can see it. Anyone else? Are you a big Are you a big Star Trek fan? I actually am, but not uh, Star Trek, <laughs> not the original one. I like the next generation. <laughs> and he really wasn't my inspiration, I have to be honest. <laughs> no, I I guess my only inspiration was, and I like, I kind of really want to um, do something where I can go like way outside a character sometime and be like a real, like a real shit, like a real mean guy. But I don't, I didn't want to play this one like, uh, you know, like silly or fun or light. I wanted it to be a little more serious than what I usually do when I play these games. So I guess I just thought, oh, what would that mean? Uh, he's logical. So it, it was like kind of that was the process. Hence Mr. Spock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> really, it was the entire Vulcan mythos, I think, that, that formed the shape of that. Yeah, Yeah, that's what really got me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think in my case... So much of where I went when I was trying to figure out how to build this character was honestly trying to figure out things that that clicked into place and made sense to make her possible um, as a character in this world. Um, like, what sort of woman would actually be able to be here in Paris and go on these adventures? Um, and just trying to logic that out so that I don't know that there's a specific person that inspired her as much as no really what was the world like as inspiration um, to try to find a path through that to create her and as our resident expert on 1895 Paris you were perfectly suited to, to, make, <laughs> to, to go down well, that road I, I do go a googling um, <laughs> and no it was it was honestly fun as, as soon as we figured out that she was this like gothic sensibility nerd to read a bunch of those books yeah. um, and like get a get a feel for that so I it's it's fun because I think there are the heroines in those books are not the type that would do well <laughs> in in this story because they tend to be like plenty of damsels in distress who are fainting over terrible things and if, if Francis was one of those it it wouldn't make for good podcasting Right, and it makes a it makes an interesting character to not be one of those characters, but to be someone who knows of those characters and mm-hmm. who reads about those characters so much. And then, what would a person inspired, though not necessarily inspired in the way that like you try to be just like mm. them, but inspired by that world and and inspired by, you know, maybe even trying to push back against how those characters were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think literally that was something I was thinking about last night, even with her with her moving forward um, as like a response rather than um, a response to those kind of characters rather than like someone who would be like, "Ooh, look at that wonderful dark cave. Let's go in there. Nothing bad could possibly be inside. Adventure. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So Monty for me is inspired by two things put together. It is uh, Monty's um, a, a type in my head. He he is a um, college philosophy student who thinks he's way smarter than he actually is. <laughs> philosophy one hundred and one. Um, yeah, like the, the, someone who's not, probably not even like finished philosophy in college, <laughs> but like took up to like the two hundred levels and is like now I understand everything. 
Um, so he's that type, crossed with my uncle. <laughs> I have an uncle um, who I, I, I will, I guess, will remain nameless. I don't know if it would matter if I named him, but I will say that my uncle is, he's a politician from Charleston. Mm. Um, he actually was, he did serve in Congress, uh, and he has the politician's charisma just mm. oozing to the point where he will, like, I actually did a couple of things as Monty so far that are direct pulls from things that he has done in, in real life. Um, and <laughs> the the point, uh, to the point of he's actually so genuinely charming, even if you look at it and say, I know he's a politician, I know some of this has got to be put on. It's, mm. it's literally so charming and so disarming, it doesn't matter. You're like, <laughs> but it was really nice anyway. Like, gosh, it was like... Ah, uh, you can't, you just can't help but like him. He's that type of character. Like, just a genuinely char very charismatic man uh, who just really, like, any anyone he meets, he loves to just, like, have the conversation and just immediately become that person's, like, favorite person to talk to in the room. He's, he's that guy. So it was putting those two concepts together, <laughs> um, which I obviously kind of put into someone who... Monty thinks he knows everything and he likes to turn on the charm when it is advantageous to him but he doesn't actually engage that way necessarily normally with like his actual friends and I'll I'll blow up your spot Tom that politician's name folks Foghorn Leghorn <laughs> it's true it's true you got it you got it you put that was the exact Uncle Foggy I don't, I don't think we should hide anything from our listeners. I think we should live No, openly. since this is not his actual name, in the family he goes by Uncle Bubsy, actually. Oh, oh it's not yes. your Uncle Foghorn Leghorn. Uncle Bubsy, oh, if you are on. listening. Yes, hello, Uncle Bubsy. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe. We appreciate it. And Foghorn Leghorn, <laughs> if you're listening, listening, we don't want you. All I have is an Uncle Bubba. I'm so jealous I don't have a Bubsy. Oh. I have both an Uncle Billy and an Uncle John, which I think everyone in the world has. Either an Uncle, Uncle Billy John's. or an Uncle John. <laughs> or an Uncle John, that's true. I don't have an Uncle Billy or an Uncle John, but I do have two Uncle Michaels. Okay, so that two Uncle Michaels are worth one <laughs> Uncle John. I have an Uncle Mike, but an Uncle Michael, full like full name, mm. interesting. Well, yeah, so one is Michael or Mike, and the other is Mike or Mikey, and so you're able to differentiate them that way. All of my mother's sisters married Johns. So there I have my Uncle John this, Uncle John that, Uncle John that, and then my mom married a Jeff, so she didn't stray too far from the assigned path, but just a little rebellion. I survived, yeah, Mike, I mean, I would go to school and have like 17 mics in my class, which is why I went by Mikey for so long, but like, I ne there was never another Mike in the family, like nobody, nobody married a Mike, nobody birthed a Mike, it was all just, there's only one, it was me. I'm all Tom. It's all Toms all the way down. I'm the third. <laughs> and like even before that, like the Toms were middle names and then first names again and all of this stuff. So Tommy's all the way down. That's the it's John Green <laughs> novel. That's a yep. deep cut John Green joke for you, kids. <laughs> and once again, John Green, thank you for listening. We appreciate your support. Yeah, big fan, big fan. At some point, this is going to work. We're going to name someone who actually does, oh, yeah. <laughs> does do it for one episode. And like It does. It happens. When I worked in radio, that happened with Purvis Ellison, former NBA player and Louisville star Purvis Ellison. I mentioned him on the air, and then he called the program. So why are you guys talking about me? 
was very <laughs> he was he was joking but i immediately was like i'm so sorry sir i, 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 didn't, I, meant, I didn't mean any disrespect like immediately <laughs> he was very nice though i hope he's listening purpose <laughs> it's not a video podcast. I salute. I know. I keep doing gestures. I shot finger guns earlier, and I realized that was not gonna. That was not gonna. That be doesn't trip me. <laughs> finger guns. There. <laughs> Closed captioning. All right. So our story picks back up at a, a moment of crisis for the group. Um, Donald uh, sat down at the organ. Monty had played one note and Donald sat down and pressed his whole hand down on the organ and the organ pipes began to quiver and it looked like they were starting to move slowly to wrap themselves around the group. And then a translucent, colorful glass arm started reaching out toward Donald. And Donald, at that moment, you're able to break the compulsion and you lift your hand off the organ and suddenly... Everything goes back to normal. But I do need, of course, all three of you to make me a composure check. <laughs> you don't say. Now, when you did that, when we got that ooh or whatever it was in the last one, what was it called? A woo. Yeah. Woo. 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 W-H-E-W, a woo. 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 That just sounds like a Philly accent. But if we... If so, would would we add the two to our pre-existing score if there's not been any points taken out of it? Like no, so it just it's goes only up to your if max. You've lost yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead, and we'll start with Francis. Why don't you let me know how many points you're spending, and then go ahead and make your roll. Oh gosh. Um. I mean, that was genuinely terrifying. Um. I. I mean, I, we just got the two, but I, I have enough that I'll just take it away again. And I'll, I'll spend two again. All right. Oh, I've been rolling so high. Come on. My baby needs a new pair of shoes. Ooh. Um, I rolled a five plus two. So baby's set. All baby right. <laughs> baby got the <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Shoe money too. Sir, I want to buy these shoes. Uh, Donald, you are next. Um, I'm going to take one just because I feel like, you know, he's kind of getting a little to the point of like whatever he. <laughs> and he just also went through it, and he also knew that the thing was going to... So I'll take one, um, and I'll get five plus one total of six. All right. And then finally, Monty. We can't, the run of luck for the players can't hold up forever. <laughs> no, I'm going to take no. two, but that means I'm going to roll a one, no doubt. Yeah. So let's, let's see what happens. Taking two, and... I rolled a one. It happened. I rolled a one. Oh, no. I'm mean, so good, shot. too. Do I get the a bonus secret, for a my friend? <laughs> That's the secret. Yep. Believe in it. Believe it, right and it shall listening. be. <laughs> Every group has the player who consistently rolls a one mm. when they don't need the one, and you may be that person. All right. So you are going to... You, you failed that by one, and so you get the minor card, which in this case is Haunted. And so tests, any tests, all tests, take a penalty equal to the number of shot cards you have in your hand. So for now, that's just one. A one, um, okay. And you can discard this card on a successful test that aids the group against supernatural horror. Interesting. Oh, is that, are we going to encounter supernatural horror in this game? <laughs> Wait a I minute. I cannot <laughs> imagine. I thought this was the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> 
So just checking in. So let me make sure I have this right. Oof. Donald, you have one card now, one shot card. And Monty, yep. you have one shot card. Mm-hmm. And no one has any injury cards. You've all staved off no. any physical threats. Somehow. Okay, so um, you see, you all see this vision of the organ looking like it's going to reach out and wrap around you and this hand reaching out through the glass, and then it all goes back to normal. Um, I'm curious, how do, how do your characters, like, what would be a good result of this whole situation? Like, you all know now that there's something strange going on, right? There's something unnatural potentially happening here, you know, maybe... Uh, Donald is really kind of pushing back against that even because he's he wants everything to have a rational explanation. But even he, I think, is to the point of kind of accepting that there's something strange going on. You also all know that maybe you have to kill someone. Like, what is a good outcome, do you think, in your character's mind? I think that Donald would say that a good outcome in his mind is, is that he you know, gets all of the answers and, and at least is able to straighten this out, which is still a possibility. But the reality of the situation is a good ending in his mind is, I think he's kind of resigned himself to like, this is where we're effed. Like where this is, there's really nothing here. I th And I think that he's very like the little girl needing help and then running away and the little brother, like, I think that's all he's thinking about right now. So the reality of it is a good ending for him is an ending where that, one child is okay because he needs something to kind of tether to. I think for, for Monty, um, he wants to find the source of all of this. See if there is, is some specific thing that can be pinpointed as causing all of this strangeness. Um, he wants to put a stop to anything that seems like it will be harmful, which most of the things we've come across have seemed like they are in some way insidious, harmful, damaging, something like that. He doesn't want that, but he is not convinced that the source of this thing is inherently bad. He would like to see if this, because this is one of the only interesting things he's ever found. So if it's possible that the source could be isolated and <laughs> continue to be a source of unusual or interesting occurrences without causing harm, that would be, um, that would be of interest to him. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Like, I think for Francis, it's putting all this damn spooky nonsense back into the damn books. Like, it should not be happening in the world. And I think in particular, the fact that, like, she and her two closest friends in the world seemed moments away from actual physical harm, seemed moments away from losing it, is unacceptable. And I think she's getting angry that, like, this thing that this kind of strange, horrible things happening, which is such a source of pleasure for her, is becoming quite the opposite of that. And I think that's making her mad. And so she needs to shove it back down in a way, whatever that means. Like, I don't think she has a, there's no, she doesn't know about this little girl yet. I don't think, I don't think she knows about the human cost really beyond Calvin. So she's just angry. So where do you go from here? You're in the organ room. I think the first thing that he would do is Donald would uh, 
tell both of them uh, earlier tonight when I when I arrived back here when I left that that dreadful apartment building we were at I encountered a, a, one of the the beggar children that was it, her brother was harmed by this the thing was taken by this thing the man who works on the door has a demon for a pet and I know it's it likely some kind of large wild beast but both Father Sicard and this, this child this young girl told me about it and she said she said she had been to the man's home I think it would be a good idea if, if, if we could find this child and, and, and protect her and, and, and keep her safe from this 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 evil and, and also to our end uh, find this find the source find the home find whatever we need Donald I think we saw it I, I think it's La Clénuie. I I think it's that place in that vision there was something lurking in the window there was dripping yellow coming from it I to me that seems like the source of it if not here then there I think I think we need to find the child before we do anything. We've certainly lost uh, any element of surprise we would have had here for Mr. Cabot to come back, so I agree. We should pursue this line of inquiry. All right, so you head out of the organ room, down the stairs, back into the main cathedral space, and out the front door. And it's, you know, it's it's well past... 10 or 11 o'clock now it's full on dark the moon is up in the sky and you are walking out the door and Donald you notice that the girl Anja is standing around on the side of the cathedral kind of peeking her head around the side trying to stay out of view but looking for something or someone and so I don't want to uh, startle her and, and have them, like, have people start to rush her. So I just kind of quickly break off from the group and, like, slowly make my way towards her. And just with, like, Angie, Angie, it's, it's me. I, I, we met, I, I told you I could help you. I can help you. My friends are here. The friends I told you about, we can help you. And she, like, looks at you and looks around. She says, is the is the priest, is he gone? Yes, yes, the priest is gone. It, it's just us and, and and my friends. They're very nice. We can we can go meet them right now. Okay. Uh, Monty, Francis, uh, this this uh, um, uh, brave young lady is Anja. Uh, and can you tell them what you told me? Well, sure. So, well... My friends and I and my brother, we we started to notice a man coming to the church late at night. He seemed like he was doing something with the door or the gate. And he was strange, but we didn't think he was dangerous. But we, well, my brother Noah, he he thought we should follow him home. And I didn't know if it was a good idea or not, but I, I agreed. And, well, we, we followed him one night. It was it was really late. And we 
we went upstairs in the apartment and we we went inside and well he he keeps a monster up there a demon i i don't know why he does but it's like it's some sort of pet and then it attacked noah and it it hurt him and he well i just i i don't know what to do he he needs help and i don't know what to do you could take us to his house right you remember the way yes but i, I don't want to go back there i don't blame you i i i don't blame you can you tell us do you know the the the, the route the, the 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 avenue how to get there yes i yes i i could i could bring you close he he lives above it's a cafe with it's got a frog on the sign Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. La Grenouille. Yes, La, La Grenouille, the frog. La Grenouille, that's the one Francis does. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good, Anju. Very being very brave. You're helping us a great deal. And, and we're going to help you, too. We're going to keep you safe, and we're going to help your brother. So is the plan to go to the apartment? Is the plan to... Um, go see her brother. What 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 would you like to I do? I would be interested in knowing a little more, if at all possible, about what the demon did. Like, what was the attack that is having this crystalline consequence? Um, because if it's a physical attack, it's one thing. If it's not a direct contact, um, that is a little harder to protect ourselves against. So we perhaps want to ask her brother what mm-hmm. what happened to him if he's feeling if he's you know, if up he's to, able to talk right um, if he's feeling up for for speaking to us mm-hmm. I'd be all right with that just to be a little more prepared before we yeah. uh, go to this apartment and we could even if we wanted to we could kind of time our if we wanted to go to the apartment when he's there mm-hmm. so you know because we'll see him go work on the door. Or we could just try to get him when he's not ready, you know. But I think we should go talk to the boy first if we can. All right, so Anja leads you along the Seine to its embankment, where you see a makeshift living area built from bits of rubble. And children, some of the ones that you saw before, but others as well, peer at you from behind large stones and other structures. But they don't approach. Uh, Monty, you know, you would you would know that... You know, a lot of these children probably are pickpockets around town, uh, but they don't really pose much of a threat to you outside of, you know, making sure that your valuables remain close. And Anja leads you under an overhang where a small boy sits, hidden mostly by the shadows. He looks no older than five years old, and he's exceedingly thin. And when you get closer, you see that he has scratches all over his body and that the parts of his body near the scratches have started to crystallize. And Donald, you saw this with the priest, but you didn't see wounds like this. And you know, the the child's situation seems much more dire. And so I need all three of you to roll another composure test. So we'll go reverse order this time. So uh, Monty, why don't you you go first? Uh, I will spend, I'm going to have to spend at least two on this because I'm going to get a minus one to it anyway. So I will spend two, uh, which will give me an overall of a plus one to whatever I roll. It's three. All right. Uh, Donald, go ahead. I mean, uh, I think that 
he would, in particular, steal himself in this situation. So I'm going to do a stupid thing and take three. And then not have them anymore. I'm down to two. <laughs> All right. Uh, it rolled into my hand. <laughs> it was a six that counts. Five plus three. Whew. All right, so that's an eight. All right, and Francis. Francis is going to just... I'm going to spend one more. I'm going to save I'm gonna save my last two, so I'll just spend one. Oh, that did go in my tower. Ooh, um, that would that would be a total of six. I am all right cruising for a bruise, and I've been rolling too well. It's gonna end very soon. So Francis and Donald really do steal themselves in face of this horrific sight, um, but already a little bit rattled. Monty is starting to unravel a bit, and so Monty, you're going to receive the card uh, rattled, which. Uh, gives you a minus one penalty on your next test, but then you can discard it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. Okay, let me mark that down. That's that's another minor minor shock, I assume. It is another minor shock, yes. But you are now at two shocks, and so one more. And I'm at a minus two penalty <laughs> on my next test. Because, oh, Lord. Because of the, or actually, no, minus three, because it's one per shock for the other one. And then minus one from this one. I'll be at minus three for my next test. Does wait? Does do you hit very bad the moment you get the third card? Yes. Oh, I, I, I yeah. I'm, I'm lost the moment I hit the third card. So I, when I see the crystalline on, on the child, uh, I just start muttering to myself, "It's crystal like uh, that. Looks like my inkwell. It's the same sort of crystal that I. It's, it's like where I." It looks so much like where I keep that ink. Monty, what are you when talking I, about? Right. That's just... Um, Monty. It's, I'm just... I'm sorry. Monty. I'm just... Are you all right? No. No, 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 I'm not. And I look at Francis because I have no idea, like, what to... I mean... Can you, wait, do you have the... Do you have the... Francis, do you still have the pieces of paper? Do you still have the piece of paper on you? I, I do. You take them out for me, please. Can you take them out for me, please? Francis opens the satchel and then takes him out. Don, Francis, this is my handwriting. This is my handwriting on this paper, and I don't know how it got there. This is my handwriting on this paper. I feel uh, people write similarly. Someone could have picked. It, it does. It, there's got to be a logical explanation, Monty. So there's no reason. I write for a living. I can recognize my own handwriting. This is mine, and I don't remember doing it. A perfectly logical explanation for it. And I turn around and, and go over to the boy and I take out the the salve because I'm going to see if, if I can help him with it. Um, and I also, in my in my satchel, I decided that I had half a croissant and an apple in there, just in case. Um, and I'm going to hand it to, to the little girl. Um, but I'm going to... I'm going to try and... Hold on to to Monty's not Monty yes Monty Monty's arm and and say Monty I, I don't I don't know what's going on but things happen that hypnotists make people write things while they're under their spell it's it's a thing that happens and I maybe that's all it was maybe someone compelled you to do this in a hypnotic trance it's it's not the end I don't know what it is but it's not the end. 
Francis, I'm... <sighs> All right. Is one of the other children around? One of the of this kind of group? No, the only the only two people under this overhang are Noah and Anja. Okay. Okay. Can I kneel down next to Anja for a second? Anja, I know um, it, it may already be too late for this, and I apologize, but we are going to help your brother. But I just need to tell you now, if you or any of your friends and associates, any of the other kids that you travel with, I know what your daily business is. We don't need to say it explicitly. If you go back to Notre Dame, you may find an inkwell on the ground. And I understand, were I in your position, you'd be tempted to take that inkwell and to sell it for a few francs. It may already be gone by now. One of your friends may have already taken it and done just that. But should that not be the case, if you see it, if you're able to pass the word along, if you see the inkwell on the ground near Notre Dame, I want you to kick it into the river for me. Would you do that? Sure, mister. That is very good. I'm going to hand her a, a little bit of money. All right. And so as you're doing that, Donald goes and sits down next to the boy and takes out the salve. And you hear him whisper, Hanja, is that you? No, no. My, uh, your, your sister asked me and my friends, um if we could help you and, and, and we're going to, we're going to try to help you. So is, is this what you put on the, onto your wounds? And I show him the balm. He doesn't look at you or at the balm. He looks as if he's looking past you as if there's something else in his eyes, but he, he, he does nod and says, Yes, we had some of that. It helped, but we didn't have enough for all of my wounds. So I'd probably be struck by how kind of odd that response was, because it seems like, what's his name? It was kind of the same way that Calvin Life talked to us when we saw him. He was talking past us. And so I would kind of like recoil a little bit. Noah, Noah, can you, can you look at me? It's hard to see. There are so many other things in my vision. What do you see? A world. Sometimes this world. Sometimes another world. Black stars. A white sky. Twin suns sinking into a lake. And you notice a few things after he says that. He's surprisingly calm. He also is more eloquent, I think, than you would expect from a five-year-old. <laughs> Francis? Yes. Francis, uh, this is this is Noah. Uh, Noah is 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 Andre's brother, and and he, um. Tell tell her what you saw. Tell her what you just what you just told me. So when he speaks, he seems to have ignored what you just said and says, At first the visions were useful. 
those of this world gave us knowledge of where we could find food, where we could find what we needed, but it started to spread. The crystal started to spread and my visions, they've grown more strange. They've grown more of the other world and I think they want me to do violence. Well, we're you're you're not you're not going to do that. We, you're a good you're a, a, a smart young man and and you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I know. <sighs> Noah, when when you say that you know you're going to be okay, what do you know is going to happen? What does that mean to you? Eventually, I'll go to the other world. I think it's safer there. And I just put the 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 salve back into my like bag and just kind of like stand up from it and just kind of like turn and like just because I don't really now I know now I'm like well this is the only bottle we got and if it helps I mean here's this kid I don't care about the kid like the boy child does not matter to me um so I, I I'm just kind of struck by how again like it's a reminder that even though i'm using this like i'm going to save this little girl thing to kind of resolve myself like how just far down the rabbit hole we are and like how just there's nothing left rational and this was just another like slap in the face of that as you you kind of stand up and and recoil a little bit and are thinking about everything that you've experienced and what you're going to do, Francis, you're still looking down at Noah, and suddenly his entire body goes tense, as if this extraordinary amount of energy started coursing through his body, and his skin can barely contain it. And he starts to speak, and his voice sounds, before it was calm, now it starts to sound like garbled whispers coming from far away. And it's it's very similar to some of the whispers that you heard in that vision uh, coming from the organ. Mm. And you hear it, it at first. It's just it's very garbled. And then it starts to make out actual words. And you hear him. War. War is coming. It will spread across Europe. The dirt will be soaked with blood. She's not missing, Donald. She's just at the dance, wearing her mask. Or are they faces that look like masks? And then he's really starting to shake. Um, and I need you to all, me- all make me a sense trouble roll. Oh, thanks. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. And so um, for you, Monty, this will be your roll that you take a minus one on before you discard that card. And a minus two. <laughs> yes, minus, minus three, three total. total. Oy, oy. I got a four, but minus two. Oh! Because of my trauma card or whatever it is. Okay, so that's a two. All right, I I will spend my only remaining point in sense trouble, uh, which would at least mean that it's possible for me to pass this if I roll a six. <laughs> I mean, in theory, we don't know what the difficulty is. <laughs> Oh, why didn't I do that? I didn't use my points. Oh, no. (laughs) It's a three. That's not going to do it. Nope. Gives me a one in total. I'm 
Oh, I'm so torn because Francis did not like what just happened, but everybody else did so poorly. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to use my last two uh, since trouble points. All right. All right. Oh, boy. Oh, it, it, it bounced out. Okay. That is a six total. All right. So, Francis, you really get the sense that he, you know, he's having some sort of vision or some sort of experience right now and mm-hmm. that he's going to become violent when it ends. Mm-hmm. Do you do anything? Yes. I I had been kneeling down by him, um, listening, and I, as quickly as I can, I'm going to scramble up to my feet. I'm going to try to spread out my arms and push back Monty and Donald if they're close by. Um, where is Ange? Ange uh, yeah, she's she's also us. close. She's also close by, but you know you could you can kind of do the same thing. Yeah, to shield I'm gonna her try to, to push push them back. I'll stay I'll stay in. I'll be kind of in front, but I'm gonna try to get us back, and just say, gotcha. yeah, everyone step away. I don't stay back. And as you're doing that, you look down at Noah's face, and it flickers for a moment into a mask, and then it flickers back into his face and then back into a mask and it goes it starts flickering back and forth faster and faster and then it becomes his face again and his eyes for the first time turn and focus toward you and he lunges out at you trying to bite you <gasps> and so we're we're going into combat again now this this is the second time we are going to go into combat and so the first thing that I need you to do is to define your objective oh so what is it that you three want to try to do with Noah here? I don't in want character. to say kill a child. In character. In character. I, <laughs> I, I would have taken, I was thinking, I would have taken a pistol out the minute he said what he said. Mm. And you, I was Mike, figuring, would have? <laughs> yeah, yeah, me. Mike Brennan. <laughs> of 1960. No, um, she, he, uh, when he said that, I... <laughs> You can even check the records. I messaged Tommy and said, you shooting him or me? Because I would have pulled the gun out. And if I had passed the sense trouble test, I was, just, I was pulling the trigger. So he, Donald, is, is his goal is kill. That's where he's at. Hmm. Uh, I'm also on the kill train. I mean, I, I think I would have been continuing the backwards motion and just trying to, like, flee but I don't think I can stop the kill train as it chugga-chugga-chugs out of the station. <laughs> all right, so um, so now you all need to declare your spends. Uh, so real quick, uh, w- was there any other negativity associated with uh, failing the sense trouble test? I'm assuming no, it, no, just, it was just, it was just of... whether you were able to, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and then I got to discard that card because that was the test. Uh, right, discard, rappled. Hallelujah. Okay. So you're back down to just one card. Correct. He's down to just one card. All right. So now it is time for you to declare your spends. And so remember, this is a fighting roll that you're each going to make. And so you can declare how much you want to spend of your fighting. Just one. Yeah, I'll do the same. He's probably pretty rattled. Okay. Oh, I'm... mm, mm. I mean, it's it's the kill train. Um, Not to be confused with coal train. Um, I'm going to spend... He's coming for me. I'm going to spend two. Two of my three. Okay. So that means that, Francis, you act 
first. Um, so he, Noah gets up and starts to lunge at you and tries mm -hmm. to bite you. What do you do? I- Or what do you try to do? I'm sorry. Sure. Now I'm going to try to swivel the, st the satchel and like have that as a shield and just like try to buffet him off. Um, gonna, you know, gonna try and push him back with the satchel. All right, go ahead and make your roll with a plus two. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Please don't let me die. <laughs> um, so it's two on the dice, so two, four total. Four total. Okay, so you swing around your satchel and you push out at him um, and you kind of knock him back, on, like back onto the bed and he kind of like falls over and sits back down on the bed. Um, Monty or Donald, which one of you would like to act first? I'll act first. And my, I'm shooting. Ah, oh, shit. One plus one, two. Mm -mm. All right, so you you pull out the pistol and you're kind of fumbling around and you hear from the side Anja say, no, don't. And she like reaches over and she like hits your arm as you're going to pull the trigger and the bullet flies wildly off. Um, and you also, let's see. Yeah, so it, it flies wildly off and um, Noah takes that opportunity to lunge back out at you and he bites your arm and he, it sink, his teeth sink into your arm and you immediately see some of that black, flecks of that black rock kind of imprint themselves into your arm. Is that, and just to clarify, is that, is that Donald's arm or is that Francis's arm? That's Donald's arm, Donald's arm, yes. The shooting arm. Oh, your shooting arm. And then Monty, uh, what are you doing? Um, I would like to attempt to take the gun out of, hmm. uh, out of Donald's hand at this point, since he's kind of like, like this, it's, you know, the child's biting into that arm. So take the gun out of the hand and put it right up to, um, to the child and just pull the trigger multiple times. Uh, spend of one, which will then be minus one, so it's just going to be a flat roll. That's a six. Alright, so Noah lunges out at Francis, and she swings her satchel around and pushes him back down onto the bed. And as Donald fumbles for the pistol, he pulls it out, and Anja smacks his arm and cries no and the shot flies wildly, and it gives Noah the opportunity to lunge up and sink his teeth into Donald's arm. And at that moment, Monty, with a level of composure that perhaps he doesn't feel inside, reaches over and grabs the gun and pulls the trigger, and Noah flies back into the side of the bed. A couple other things here. So you, you, did, you did achieve a... A, um, a zero margin, which means you are mm. successful in, 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 in killing this child slash monster, monster <laughs> that, that he has become. And he also, so in this game, there's some, some strong monsters have what's called a toll. Um, and so even when you're successful, you, you take, um, you take this toll 
and so he has a total of one, and so I need all three of you actually to take one away from your pool of either athletics, health, or fighting. <sighs> and you can choose. You don't need to. You don't even need to tell me. So okay. Um, I do have one clarifying question. Does this count as having assisted the group in overcoming a supernatural threat or a supernatural horror? I would say yes. A successful test aids the group against a supernatural horror. Good job. I would say yes. Okay, thank you. That gets me to discard haunted. In addition, um, after you each have taken that one toll... um, Monty, I need you to make a composure roll because despite the fact that you are horrified and despite the fact that you believe this child to be a monster, there still is a level of mental strain that comes from killing, killing this kid. Yes. Um, so roll me a composure roll. Gonna just do it flat. Got a four. That is a failure. And in fact, it's a oh. major failure. Oh, boy. Okay. You're going to take another mental shock card called Dead-Eyed Stare. Oh, God. Um, And in addition to being a shock card, this is a continuity card. So it's one that lasts even between (gasps) sessions. And so unless you do whatever it takes to get rid of this, you will continue to have this card, Dead-Eyed Stare. I'm so stoked. Oh, no. <laughs> Sounds great. And what it's what it's what it says on it is that once per session you may make a free intimidation push. All PCs lose to composure. When you make a ruthless choice that saves a life, roll a die. On an even, you can trade this for hardened. So it is a pretty it's a pretty tough one. Uh, but it also comes with a benefit, or a you know, kind of a benefit. Um So I can cost the entire team composure points? Is that was that the... But you get you get basically a free a free uh, intimidation push if you ever want to use it. But it costs it costs me or everyone composure points. Everyone composure everyone. points. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. And then the final thing is that Donald, you failed on your fighting check, and so you actually are going to, and you in, in fact failed by more than one, and so you are going to take a major injury oh. from. Oh from um from the bite that you received from Noah and it is called my car bite and you don't know quite what that means at this point um but it it says that each time you make a physical test you roll a die if you roll an odd number your body crystallizes and shatters killing you every oh, time he rolls my a test goodness a physical test okay a physical, a physical test jesus that's so cool that's that's a big one (laughs) it made me drop my dice again that's how cool that is my car bite that is that is odd your body crystallizes and it shatters killing you and so Donald you you reach down almost instinctively to the place where you were bitten and the black crystallization is already starting to spread a little bit and you reach down and touch it and as you do you are pulled into another vision and you are once again in Notre Dame Cathedral during a service but this time you're looking down at the congregation from the organ landing in fact you are playing the organ 
and you look down and you can see that your hands have chunks of flesh that have been ripped from them. The sounds of the organ echoes through the chapel, but slowly the sound morphs into guttural growls and whispers forming near human words. And it's, it's as if you're seeing that same scene that you had seen before, but from a different perspective. The bowed heads of the congregation pop up fearfully to look for the noise's source. And looking out at the pews, you see the doors of Notre Dame shine sickly yellow and the building rippling and warping, stretching out to meld into a lake that flows onto the floor of the church. The water moves of its own volition, forming tendrils that spiral around the people down in the congregation. As the churchgoers run and squirm away from the tendrils, their movements create that same yellow haze that starts to fill up the room. It's, it's as if you know what's going to happen. And the haze slowly but steadily makes its way up to you and washes over you. But for the first time in one of these visions, you start to taste the yellow haze, and it makes you want to choke. And you feel as if there are limbs grasping at you from all over. But you don't move. You don't react. Instead, you look down and see that you're holding a knife of shiny black stone. And slowly but purposefully, you use the knife to start cutting out chunks of crystallized skin in your hand that you hadn't noticed before. You cut and cut, not stopping until all of the crystallized skin is gone. But as you inspect your hands, more crystallized skin replaces the old. You drop the knife and look up. The yellow haze has completely filled the cathedral, and now all that remains is yellow and the sound of distorted screams. And that is where we are going to end our story tonight. Why was this the consequences of our actions episode? <laughs> This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Sarah Saltiel called The Doors to Heaven, both used under the Pelgrane Press Limited Community Use Policy, along with music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at NOMGpodcast.com.